Hey, Dr. Madati, the What Rules Leadership Conference is coming up on October 25th. I am so psyched, Alisa. I can't wait to hear from our speakers, Tanika Cabral from the Coca-Cola Company, Tier Suzuki from EY, and Lili Valleta from Culture Plus Group. I'm excited for our workshops led by Monique Leno from Albertsons Companies and you, our very own Dr. Madari Simeon. Yes, I'm so excited. We are going to have workshops for the multicultural women attending and managers who are attending who are not multicultural but want to support women of color. So get ready for an amazing event on October 25th. Register now at whatrolespodcast.com. everyone. We're so glad you're here. I'm Elisa Monjadas. I'm a marketing leader and executive coach. I'm Courtney Copeland, and I'm an accountability and wellness coach. And I'm Dr. Mirari Simeon, an activator of talent, HR executive, author, and working mom. If you're anything like the successful multicultural women we interview on the What Rules podcast, you've learned that you can't do it alone. And we teach women like yourself to outsmart the game to get ahead in your career. We're really talking about those rules that we grew up with as women and expectations that have been placed on us. Our mission is to change the face of leadership at What Rules Podcast. As you listen to our talented guests, take note and take action. Go ahead, go and break those rules. For those of you who may not remember, episode 67, we had an executive from Coca-Cola, Tanika Cabral, come on and speak and... She actually recommended that we talk to her cool cousin, Erica. So if you want to check out Tanika's episode, she is an amazing powerhouse, episode 67. And she's going to be one of the feature speakers at the What Rules Leadership Conference on October 25th. So make sure to join us. Okay, well, let me just say... We're just going to start here, Tanika's cousin, Erica. That's who we're interviewing today. But did Tanika tell you that she's bringing her daughter to the conference? Yes. And I have to say, we love Tanika, but we might love Sage a little bit more. Oh, <laughs> like, I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, she's yes. truly her mother's daughter, but Sage is like, she's a dream. I mean, I wish I was like her when I was that age. You meet her and you know that she is going to be somebody big when she gets older. So I was so happy to see that she's going to be a part of the conference. It's going to be so special and it's virtual, but we're all recording together. We're going to have it live. So Erica, you know, if you want to come. I'm going to have to pop up. (laughs) The the invite is open. Yeah, it's going to be live from a studio. So all of the speakers will be live. So we would love to have you if you can make it. It would be wonderful. That would be great. Well, today's episode is all about creating what you want to see. And when Tanika said you worked at Cartier, I was like, uh, I want to create what I want to see here. Not a bad job. <laughs> not a bad job. So, you know, I have a friend who worked at Gucci and she was like, you know, it's not as glamorous as you think. But in my mind, when I heard you worked at Cartier, I was like, you walk through the doors, they hand you the diamonds. <laughs> You know, some days it is like that, I have to say. I have so many stories of when I joined. And so I think for any company, when you join a new organization, you go through onboarding. And the really fun part of joining a jewelry company is that part of the onboarding is learning the jewelry. And so you do have a moment where you get to go into the boutiques 
and touch and feel and ask, well, how much is this? And, you know, I've done it all. I've had sticker shock. It's so much fun. I didn't think that I would love jewelry as much as I do on this job. But learning about the history of diamonds and different gemstones and where to source them from. The history of Cartier has just been so much fun diving into it. It's The company is almost 200 years old, right? I've been surprised by how much I love the journey. And the jewelry, of course, is just the icing on the cake. How can we get on the onboarding? Like just, you know, I mean, maybe like consultants. Uh, <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Just want to try it on. <laughs> Okay, so Erica, welcome to the What Rules podcast. Thank you. We are so happy to have you. Tell us what are the hats that you wear personally and professionally? Hi, I'm Erica Lovett. I'm the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cartier North America, and I am 32 years old. I'm going to start with my most recent hat, which is I'm newly married, so I'm a wife. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Did Cartier (laughs) hook you up? (laughs) We need to know. (laughs) Well, I did get my wedding band from Cartier, which is really special. And I got his from Cartier as well. But um, yeah, I'm newly married at almost two and a half months in now. So this is how I spent my summer, which has been awesome. And I know people that are married have told me all these stories about, you know, it's not always easy, which I I understand, but I'm in in the wedded bliss part of it. That's my most important hat right now. I also, I'm from Yonkers, New York. I also love hiking. So I spend a lot of time outdoors. I'm really passionate about the national park system and passionate about getting more people of color to visit our public lands. And so when I'm not at work, I really try to, to spend time outside and it's where I find my peace. So my family is from the South. Uh, my mom's side, they are from Atlanta. My dad's side from South Carolina. And so I am um, a product of uh, grandparents who migrated from the South to the North and decided to raise their families between New York and New Jersey. And so I am Black American. You were named one of 2023 most influential executives in DEI, and you are the first head of DEI for Cartier. Is there one rule that you feel you've broken that has been just a catalyst to advance your career? There's one rule that I think leads to another rule. And so the more general rule is that you have to follow your own instinct. I think especially when you're beginning your career, you get a lot of advice and you're taught to follow that advice, which is not wrong. I think, you know, you should learn from the people that came before you, especially if they're in a career path that you would like to be in. But I also think that those people don't know your dreams. They don't know you personally most of the time. They don't know how much you can handle, how much you can adjust, how malleable you are. And so you should listen to advice, but also listen to yourself. You listen to your voice, that voice in your head that told you to either do something or not to do something, which is why you're sitting here today. And the other thing I would say is I've learned early on that your age and your experience do not determine how much of an impact or influence you can have within an organization. And that's crucial. So often we're taught, like, wait your turn, 
like it, it's not your time yet. You haven't paid your dues. And again, all of that is valid. And you have to be mindful of the culture of the organization that you're in, the, the people that you're working with, because all of that can impact how you should be showing up in the workplace. But I also believe that if you have a good idea, share it, right? I think oftentimes we're just taught to stay in our in our place, right? Don't rise above too quickly because then you're seen as arrogant or you're too confident, you're too this, you're too that. And really it just holds all of us back. So I've just learned that no matter how old you are, no matter how much experience you have or don't have, you still have a right to be in that room and to, sh and to share what's on your mind. Did you always want to be in DEI? Was that a dream of yours? No. Or how did you get to where you are today? Um, I'm one of those people that never knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> so after I graduated from high school, I ended up going to a small liberal arts college because I knew that with liberal arts, I did not have to declare a major immediately. <laughs> But also, I just, I loved learning and I loved history. And so And I ended up majoring in, in history. But with the liberal arts education, they teach you skills rather than just a specific major. And so I spent four years in college just learning what I wanted to learn. And it was the best experience I could have ever had. And I'm lucky, though, because I did not have a family that pressured me to pick a major. I wasn't pressured to have a specific career path. But when I was in college, I ended up being selected to join a committee to find the next president of the college. So the former president had resigned. Wow. And so they decided that along with the board of trustees, they were going to ask two students to join the search committee. And I happened to be one of them. To this day, I do not know why. I cannot, I was just I cannot ask, tell you why. I find you? <laughs> That's amazing. I was involved in some things, but not enough to... I remember when I got the email, I was like, is this correct? <laughs> am, I, am I really the person... <laughs> But, you know, I went on this, I think it was like an eight-month journey with wow. the board of trustees. And throughout that process, we were working with an executive search firm. And so that opened my eyes to executive search and HR. And so when I finally got to my senior year, I had an idea of, that I was interested in working with people, that HR seemed like it might be my path. And so that's sort of how it opened the door for me to go into DE&I. The power of exposure right? Like you didn't know, but you were exposed to an executive search firm. Yeah. That's one we got to highlight, providing exposure and just getting exposure. Yes. And not being afraid to take it. I mean, I remember asking the person that was leading the search who was going to be a part of the search committee. And they were listing the chair of the board. So I'm Googling everyone. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, like, I just, I could not believe that, you know, I'm a junior in college and I'm going to be on a committee with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, right? What do I bring to the table? But I actually surprised myself because I realized my role very quickly and I knew that I was bringing the student perspective. And so when we were in these closed door rooms interviewing the candidates, It's, you know, it's like show up or shut up, right? It's like you just, you just have to do it. And I find that that's happened to me many times in my career where I'm just sort of pushed into an opportunity and I've just shown up, right? And so I've, I've found a way to remove the fear and to just do the job and afterwards sort of like run to the bathroom and, you know, like catch my breath and just go like this the whole time. But I've been really fortunate to have some of these experiences. Somebody saw the potential in you, number one. Number two, they're 
were skills that were transferable that you were able to bring to light in that mm -hmm. room. So at the end of the day, we always talk about people don't apply for roles if they don't see they have all these experiences. But the reality is that all you needed was the exposure. Yeah. Those experiences, they were they just needed to be provided to you so that the amazing, bright you could come out. Absolutely. So I'm always really big on give us the exposure, give us the experience, and we will just knock it out of the park each time. So I'm just so glad that you were able to get that early on in your life because it really, it, it was a stepping stone to where you are today. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, there have been so many moments where I have been thrown into these very odd <laughs> situations <laughs> and I've and I, after the fact, I reflect and I'm like, oh, like, how did I do that? But I think, I think you're right. I think early on in my life, I just have had time and time again, have been put in these situations and now it's becoming second nature. So I, I, I'm at yes. the point in my career now where I, not much really makes me nervous anymore, which, which I'm excited about, but I'm looking for something that will make me nervous because I think that's important. <laughs> it's almost like public speaking, right? Like when you feel like you're choking up or you feel like you are just so afraid to do it, the more often that you do it, the easier it becomes, or the, at least the more comfortable you feel doing it. Now, it's not always going to yes. be comfortable, but, and I find that in my career, I've been putting these situations and I I just sort of calm myself down and remember wh why I'm here and what purpose I'm serving. And once I have that clarity, then I'm golden. Then I can just continue doing the work and nothing really phases me. I remember when I had a job where, I don't know, it was really stressful and I would go to the bathroom and like, it sounds so weird, but I would go to the bathroom and do like a back bend in the stall, like not just lean back. <laughs> and I don't know why it like calmed me down. And later I found out I was like accessing my vagus nerve or something and I didn't even know it. Okay. And it like calmed me down and it was like my secret weapon. <laughs> so go home and try it. You know, oh like, why did you ever tell me this? I didn't, I didn't want I anyone to friends. <laughs> yeah. So I would just be like, I'll be right back. And then I'd go into the bathroom stall and like, do, like bend backwards. It's your ritual. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> because like, you can't let them see you scared. <laughs> no, that's so important. But at least have you ever been in a position where you've been called to do something that you're like, I don't even know how this happened, but I'm here now. And I got to perform. <laughs> I mean, like literally every day, my business partner at Stories Bureau, I'm going to call him out for a second, but he has this pattern when we get a certain kind of project, he's like, but you're not an expert in this, or you've never done this before. And the other day I was like, I literally have $500,000 in revenue from this one project saying that I can do it and that we can do it. So if you ever tell me I can't do something like, look at the evidence. I've never been an expert at any of these things, but we have been successful. So we can't, you can't use that as an excuse anymore on me. And I think like maybe past me 10 years ago would have been like, you know what? I'm not an expert and I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't do it. But just like we've been talking about when you have evidence of success, regardless if like someone just puts you in that position 
you later as an adult can put yourself in that position. Like even for you, Erica, you were saying like you like a challenge. So now it's going to help you go after those bigger challenges. Mm -hmm. When you see those like scary moments, you're like, okay, yes, like (laughs) I want that because I can do it. So with being the first, like we're talking about creating what you want to see and you're the first in this particular role have you been the first in other roles in the past? Oh, yes. So previously, before CAR-TI, I was the Director of Inclusion and Diversity at Condé Nast, which is a global media company. And so for people that aren't familiar, it's um, the parent company to Vogue, Vanity Fair, GQ, Arc Digest, gosh, Glamour, Allure, so many wonderful brands. And I spent... Can I just like live your life? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just want to... <laughs> I just want to hang out with you for today. Anytime. Come to New I mean, York. We'll have fun. Because you're the cool one. <laughs> yeah, not too shabby of a job. Yeah, listen, I've I've I'm so appreciative of all these experiences. I never honestly never in my life thought I'd be working in fashion or luxury. I've always liked fashion, but you can like things and not think that you're going to, you know, do them for your <laughs> yeah. career. And so there there are moments where I have pinch me moments for sure, where I'm just in, like, I can't even, I remember I was sitting in front of Anna Wintour for our first meeting and I was just looking at her like, am I really here right now? But that, oh that that's a day in the life at Condé Nast. But Yes, I was the first DEI leader at Condé Nast, and so I, I started the function there. I joined as a manager back in December of 2016, I believe, and then grew the function single-handedly. I was a team of one, which that's a whole other discussion because DEI leaders never have enough resources, and that's that's podcast number two for us. But it was a journey, and I have to say, I was I was hired there to really focus on recruiting. However, when I arrived, I think I spent, I don't know, two, three months speaking to employees and different leaders and having closed door meetings. And immediately I knew that we had to sort of put recruiting to the side and focus on the internal culture and really make sure that um, we had a DEI strategy that was supporting the employees um, there first and foremost. What does the brand presence look like? We know that we have at the time these 18 brands that represent many different communities. Do we have the staff that reflects those communities? Do we have the photographers, the makeup artists for the cover stories? Do we have the right talent on the covers every month? The country is becoming more diverse. So why do we have, you know, a magazine with 12 covers for a year that have 12 white models on them, right? And so this is all the work that I was um, doing in support of these brands and in partnership with their editor-in-chiefs and their teams. And it was just really rewarding. Media, especially legacy media, is not easy to crack. There's tradition. There are ways of working that cannot change and do not change overnight. And so it really is a journey. But I have to say, when I was there, I was lucky to have editors that understood the importance of change and wanted to be a part of the change. And we're really open to having the conversations and just wanted to do the right thing. I love that because you point out two things. One, it was difficult, but you still took on the challenge, right? And then two, the editors were open. So to me, those are sponsors, right? Those are people, those are the Mm -hmm. people that shape the culture at the end of the day, right? That are open to number one, getting the feedback and number two, to bringing change that it's scary to some organizations and to some leaders. So kudos to mm-hmm. the leaders that have 
that have been open, right, to bringing about change in the culture. Hey, it's Elisa. I run a B2B creative agency called Stories Bureau, and we work with executives like you every day to make sure their presentations have the wow factor. Our designers and strategists help tell compelling stories that impact big business decisions. Let's get real, ladies. If you're a woman of color in leadership, you know that you're expected to perform above and beyond the norm. So let's get started at storiesbureau.com. You have accomplished so much at such a young age. And Cartier is a global brand, and you're currently the youngest person and only American sitting on Cartier's philanthropy board. Tell us about how you accomplished that. How did you get there? How did it happen? I want to hear all. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's, it's such an honor. So I think almost over a year ago, I think I joined in January of 2022. And my boss at the time, the CEO of Cartier North America, had come to me and she said, Cyril Vigneron, who's our global Cartier president, reached out to me because he really wants to invite you to join the Cartier Philanthropy Board. He feels that you have the right experience and perspective and will bring a lot of value to the board. Of course, I said, you know, yes, but I was thinking that it was a board of like 20 people or so and different people across the company. But then when I officially joined and had our first meeting, I realized it's like seven of us. <laughs> and, oh my and, God. And, Here you are again. Like yes. college. What a pattern. <laughs> yeah. It was it was a moment. And you know, everyone is much more seasoned in, in their careers. Most of them have been working for the organization for a minimum like 15 years. A lot of them have a long tenure, if not with Cartier, then with their parent company, Richemont. We have one member who is an actual non-executive board member of Richemont, and everyone else is either in Europe, Africa, or Asia, and I'm the only American. And so I knew from the beginning that I was going to need to bring the American perspective as well as a generational perspective. And so again, like knowing my role, I was as very mindful of that and very aware. And I had called some, some mentors and friends before my first meeting just to get advice on how I should be showing up, right? People that I knew were in boards and just wanted to make sure that I was putting my best foot forward. But it was such a proud moment. I mean, Cartier Philanthropy is a little over 10 years old. They've donated 100 million Swiss francs to date to causes all around the world that support the most vulnerable people. So it's something that I'm personally passionate about. And to be able to bring my perspective, to integrate DEI into the operations of the organization, to me, has just been so rewarding. And I, yeah, I feel very lucky to have gotten this opportunity. And just think about it. You were equipped just like you were. They wanted the student perspective when you were in college. Now they wanted the American perspective. And you were completely equipped to do that and doing yeah. it wonderfully. Um, you're yeah. still on the board. Yeah. So this is amazing. And I have to say, you know, Cartier is a, is a French company. And so I, I actually get a lot of questions about being an American in a French company. Even though we're I'm based in North America and we have a North American arm, it's still... French. And so I've learned a lot about working with people from not just different backgrounds, but from different countries. And I think 
culturally, as Americans, we tend to think that we we know a lot, and even how we show <laughs> <What>? up. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I've learned. I mean, I what? had that uh, reaction initially when someone told me that. I'm like, no. And then I get into the room, and I'm like, wow, we we do act a certain way. It's it's almost it's like a comedy. But I've learned so much by working with Europeans and working with people in Asia and South America. It's just been incredible to take a step back and, and look at different leadership styles based on culture is fascinating and ways of working, right? I'll, I'll go to Paris for a meeting and we're sitting down drinking tea. There's pleasantries before you even get to discussing what you're actually in the meeting about. Now the meeting, we're now we're over 30 minutes, but it's it's the way of working. The French also take off all of August for a holiday, which I am beginning to try to do. So it's it's really been fun to spend a lot of time with my French and European and Asian colleagues. I don't have that experience with the Europeans, but I remember when I was working in the Caribbean, and everything is so relaxed. And it's so funny when you mention, you know, having tea. Well, there is coffee, right? So you, they're just, we're going into a meeting and I'm just coming in, American, like, all right, we got to <laughs> do this. And I'm like, where's everybody? And they're just like having tea and cookies uh-huh. or whatever and sweets. And I'm like, what's happening here? And I remember I had a direct report come to my office and said, you can't lead like this. Like this, you have a total American culture and this is our culture. So if you want to really relate to the people, like you're in our country, Mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day. So it was very humbling. And let me tell you, I, after you are so open to like, okay, we're still going to get it done. It's just the calendar's not going to be the same. Yeah. (laughs) You get it done. You get it done. And it's such a beautiful thing to learn other cultures Mm -hmm. and really just embrace it and, and realize that. I believe those experiences helped me even as I lead people, as I was leading people globally in the past, because now I'm like, okay, where are they coming from? What is important to them? And and you're able to really put yourself in, in their shoes and enjoy learning and enjoy a different style. So thank you for sharing that. We're all about create what you want to see. You've clearly done it. And I love that you've created what you wanted to see. Even when you didn't know you wanted to see it, other people saw it for you and then you created it. That's kind of like the other theme I'm hearing. And you went for it. You talk a lot about showing up and or showing up anyway. What advice would you give to someone who is like, I can't show up or I don't want to show up or I feel nervous about showing up? Like, what would you tell them? I typically tell people to think about their North Star. What is it that you want to achieve and how do you envision getting there? And once they walk through that process, it's clear to them, right? Okay, well, if I want to be a manager or be a VP or whatever the opportunity is, I probably need to speak up a little bit more because I know that in this meeting, I have a lot of ideas, but I don't share them. 
So then what I'll do is I'll walk them through, okay, here are some ways that you can actually speak up. If you don't feel comfortable speaking up in the meeting, then how, why don't you follow up with these two people in your line of questioning? And so I try to help people figure out their own path because I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all path, right? I really do feel that you have to tailor how you choose to tackle um, a situation Based off of who you are, there are some people like I'm naturally an introvert. Tanika will tell you, I'm like sneaking off to leave early. I don't have it in me to socialize <laughs> that much while she's the host, like she's, you know, partying and everything. And so the way that she and I have handled career opportunities have been very different. And so I like to share that because I don't think that anyone should look at what I've done and say like, I want to follow that path. I think that you have to figure out what your own path is and then try to learn from people that maybe have similar journeys. Take a little from here or there, but do your own thing. And then the other thing that I would say, which I think is so important, and the Shonda Brown Duckett says this a lot. She says that we rent our titles and we own our characters, right? And I think it's important to really prioritize who you are as a person above what your job title is or what the job title that you want to be is. You should always be leaning into your values. So the, the decisions that you're making, do they align with your values? Don't ever sacrifice your character or who you are just for a job title or just for a promotion. That That's not never going to end well. And so when I see young women in particular that I work with trying to make a decision and I'll pull them aside and I'll say, look, do you want to talk really quick? I want to make sure that they know that they have someone that they can just talk to, vent with, rethink the decision that they're going to make if they need to, or go fully into that decision and live with the consequences of it. I try to encourage everyone to listen to the voice in their head, to learn from others, but to really prioritize themselves and, and to understand what motivates them, what their values are, what their North Star is, and then to create a plan for themselves from there. You were given the opportunity and you knocked it out of the park. As an executive in a position of power, what advice would you give other executives who are in a position of power to help build a better culture mm. or to help build a more inclusive place for multicultural women? Don't make assumptions. Listen to people right? Listen to the people around you. I've seen this time and time again where executives will be in, in the boardroom because that's, that's where they are and, and that's where these decisions happen, where they're talking about, oh, well, this is, what I, this is what I think the issues are with the culture or this is what I think is happening. But they have, there's no like basis for that thought. It's just what they think based off of the two people that are in their ear all day, right? Go to your assistant or walk the floors of the office. Or if, or if you're remote, have some meetings or office hours where you can meet employees one-on-one -on -one and ask them directly. I think executives really need to take the time to remember where they were when they weren't executives and what would have been helpful to them, the frustrations that they had when their CEO made a decision that impacted them. 
And if they could have done something about it, what would they have done? I encourage my executive team here at Cartier because we are back in the office and I encourage them when they're here to actually walk around, right? To take a couple of minutes since we have asked people to come back, right? Walk around, check in and don't just walk around and hi and keep on, keep on going. <laughs> Talk to people, you know, like get to know them. What motivates them? What they're excited about? What did they watch The Bachelor the night before? I don't know. You know, it's like have just regular normal conversations conversations. And that way it makes you more accessible, more relatable so that then when a problem does arise, that employee might actually come to you, right? And share their honest feedback because they trust you because you've taken the time to speak to them on a random Wednesday. It's like, to me, it's not so hard to build relationships. You just have to put the time in and the effort in. And what a way to create what you want to see, right? Really understanding mm -hmm. what are the needs so that you can strategically approach them and take action. Erica, I just love what an example you are setting for all the women that come behind you. And I think it's really cool how you look at each person as individuals and you don't give the same advice or feedback or anything to everyone. It's not cookie cutter because you recognize that everyone is unique and on their own path. And so I really love how you are encouraging people to find their vision, decide, figure out what they want, and then tailor their own lives for the life that they want to create for themselves. Thank you. So kudos to you. I think it's really, really awesome. Thank you. I'm so happy that you are where you are. I can't wait to see what the future holds for you because it's just going to keep getting better. And yeah, I'm just excited for you. And thank you so Yay. much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you both. I really do appreciate it. Medadi, what do we want the person listening to this to take away from Erica's journey? There are two takeaways that speak to me. Number one is when presented with the opportunity, go for it. Go for it because people may have seen in you something that you don't see in yourself, or there is something ready to burst out of you or birth out of you that you don't even know existed. So take the opportunity, do it without hesitation. And then the other thing is when you are in a position of power, like Erica is right now, be so mindful of where you've been so that you can create a better place for each individual. Because if there's one thing I learned today is we're all different. And her story and her way may be beneficial to one, but if my style and my values are different, maybe I got to do it differently. And that is okay. As long as you continue to move forward and take one step at a time. And you'll get to have your dreams come true, even though you didn't even know there were your dreams. But hey, working for Cartier, <laughs> I would say that's a dream come true. Want more advice on how to break the rules and outsmart the game to advance your career? Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, and our website, whatrulespodcast.com for more insight from our guests and hosts and join our community on LinkedIn where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a project of Zara Consulting and is supported by the amazing team at Stories Bureau. 
This episode was produced by Alexandra Uresta with editing and music supervision by Joshua Ramsey and was engineered and mixed by Tim Ballant. Our podcast cover was designed by Delion Creative. Visit whatrulespodcast.com for more info, upcoming events, and all episodes of What Rules, including video, and make sure to give us a follow.